Welcome to today's edition of the Rutten Brothers with Father John Rutten of St. Lambert's Parish in Sioux Falls, Father Paul Rutten of Immaculate Conception Parish in Watertown, and Joe Rutten, Director of Faith Formation at St. Joseph's Cathedral in Sioux Falls on the Lamb Catholic Radio Network, 104.3, 91.3, and 88.9 FM, and online at lambradio.com. The Rutten Brothers show is being brought to you in part by Mount Marty College, preparing tomorrow's leaders in the Catholic Benedictine tradition. If you have questions for the Rettens, call 605-275-4659 or email info at lamradio.com. Now here's your host, Joe Rutten. This is the Rutten Radio Show coming at you live from Sioux Falls, South Dakota in the Lamb Catholic Radio Studios. How we doing, brothers? <laughs> doing doing well. great. <laughs> I feel better this month. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Remember last month yeah. I was a little under the weather. Mm-hmm. It was really what I didn't have any pep in my step. Nope. Now I won't have to prepare anything to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> We're grateful for days you don't have pep. <laughs> but I just noticed uh, in the introduction. What? I just noticed in the introduction that I was not named first. You weren't. Father John Rutten was? <laughs> oh, alphabetical. Uh, and then when Paul, it's okay, it's okay, it's good for my that's humility. Like, uh, <laughs> that's what do they say in virtue when you have an extreme, you need to overshoot to the, the get to excess? the middle? Yeah, my uh, being anyways, below Joe anyways, was. I just noticed We're going to do a little Thomism this morning in virtue? Through. Well, all right here, fellas. Um, we'd, uh, we got a special guest lined up here for the 8 o'clock hour, so... Just to, to entice, the, li- entice the listeners to stick around a little bit. Um, you're going to want to uh, check in for the eight hour. We have Father Richard or Father Rich Varis. Um, and boy, this is going to be a can't miss opportunity, an hour for you to listen in to Father Rich. He's got just some fantastic uh, stories and, and knowledge to share with us. <laughs> and he's Joe. sitting over there shaking his head thinking, uh-oh, what am I getting myself into? But Joe uh, doesn't understand a few uh, sales principles which is called undersell over deliver (laughs) (laughs) father rich ferris isn't very good you won't like him it's not going to be helpful but stay around for us i'm in in the education (laughs) business you got to try and hook them first (laughs) well good uh if you're listening out there or following us on live stream we do have a whole host of ways in which uh, if you're wave brothers at the live stream over there um if you're following us we don't have all of our networks and our communications on one post but if you go to the facebook i think father john's got it lined up for the most part as best as we can but you can listen to us on radio live or you can do your tech devices just download the lamb app put that on your phone you know what that's pretty easy these days so if you don't have that on your phone put that on your phone you can listen to it wherever you go you can watch in the live stream which is pretty awesome you can kind of follow the mannerisms of the ruttons where uh, a little obnoxious. <laughs> we don't have mannerisms. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, phone, if you want to call in, you can call into the Lamb Studios. We've got email, Twitter, Facebook. The only person that's off the grid is me. <laughs> if you can believe it, brothers. I <laughs> woke up this morning. <laughs> I have nothing. I'm lost. I, I, I woke up and I had a, a sport coat for the, for the day. And I had taken it off as we kind of were milling about. And I took off... I saw. I said, "Where'd Father Paul go?" He's, you know, staying at the house. And I see you're sitting in your car waiting for me. So I'm like, "Uh oh, let's get going." So I sprint out the door, jump in the truck, take off down the road, and I get about halfway to the studio. And what don't I have? Your phone. But my phone. Your sport coat. My sport coat <laughs> with my phone. So of course, what panic strikes? Of course, right? Yeah. 
Now, just think about the last time you didn't have your phone. It was, it, was, it was bliss. It was bliss. Well, <laughs> so the Holy Spirit shone upon me, and I just said, you know what? Jesus, I trust in you, and here well, we it's go. A great, it's a great, uh, I know we're going to talk about Lent, so we'll come back to that, you know? Perfect. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Deep all touch. right. Well, thanks to all our listeners out there. We've got a great audience. I know uh, I, I have heard that Megan Vasgard listens, so we do know there's one other person other than our mother listening. Uh, <laughs> she and, might listen at the second hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're appreciative, though. It's great to have you. Do give us a shout out. We love having shout, uh, being able to give you a shout out if you uh, hit us up in the phone or on Twitter or something like that. Facebook. Father John's probably the best, and Father Paul. I don't have my eye device on me, so I won't be giving out any shout outs today. So, with that, why don't we get started off, uh, brothers, with a little news and notes here from Rome? Uh, anybody got any anything in the wind? crossing your sails that uh, is going on in the church well yeah i've got um i've got tomorrow morning oh at the, i'll be giving a presentation on uh the holy father's encyclical the joy of love particularly i've been doing a class with father greg shockert in town uh for the um some of the teachers in the sioux falls catholic schools and i'm going to present to all of them at some in service or something i don't know on <laughs> chapter two so it kind of begins the introduction of it titled the experiences and challenges of the family and And certainly and i notice in your book that you have here father john has the book that the only bent pages are chapter two that's (laughs) (laughs) i've read the whole thing you can tell online that's a little trick of a teacher he can tell whether or not the students have been reading Reading the whole unless you're like father paul and you don't bend your you don't yeah there are a few of those hey, but those are the students that you don't have to check you know I knew that they someone read. that used to and maybe this is you i hope <laughs> not uh well it, <laughs> they used to take a ruler and oh, underline yeah. their words with a ruler so no, that the yeah. lines were perfectly straight i was like no i've i have some ocd <laughs> but that's like ocd well you know what though um it's brilliant It keeps you from messing up your book. It reminds me of uh, Dr. Boyle. I had a fantastic professor at St. Thomas. uh, He just is still one of my favorites. And uh, he'd never, he'd always yell at you, not yell at you, but he'd always tell you, use pencil in your books, not pen. Why? Um, Because then you can go back when you read it a second time and you can change your notes Uh and what you underlined and didn't underline. And and I thought, Read it a second time. Boy, I'm lucky <laughs> if I get through it once. <laughs> yeah. So, well, well, all right. So this is written, obviously, by the Holy Father, Pope Francis, but it's his birthday. They just celebrated his birthday. Oh. Is it his birthday so, or is it his pontificate? Pontificate anniversary. Or his anniversary of his pontificate. pontificate. Yes, that's uh, what it was. He's been around for a couple of years. I can't four, figure I out if four. It, 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 four years, all right? So he's been around for four years. Uh, a few things have happened in the church. You know, yeah. lots of people are excited, I think. Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, if I had a, a, a sense, census, if my census fidelity, uh, sense of the faithful, is that people outside of the church, uh, he's kind of energized and given a, oh, I don't know, a new look at the church, if you will, or a new feel for the church. People inside the church, uh, you know, mixed reviews a little bit in the sense that, uh, not that you ever want to criticize your Holy Father, but some people kind of shake their heads and wonder what's going on sometimes. Um, but in reference to, to an example of that, it might be this document which uh, uh the joy of love and there's just kind of things out there in my world where you th- people are kind of questioning and it's in reference to divorce and whether the reception of communion could you explain to me a little bit about what the the 
in a quick nutshell what's going on there, and then let's talk about some of the document because there's some beautiful, beautiful stuff in it. Yeah. Well, in a nutshell, he's basically um, just bringing forth this dialogue. First, I think you have to understand Pope Francis is um, someone who is not afraid of uh, life, which comes with conflict. You know, and so in his mind, the fact that everybody's all kind of like talking about stuff and what about this, that's what he wants. That's the purpose of all of this. He's because Jesuit. He's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, but, but and that's not a bad thing. I mean, the Jesuits love to, you know, get out in the gray, murky areas and push the boundaries and see what happens. And, and then they come back to, to something. But, well, you know. And it's kind of, in, in my world, it's a bit like um, what happens when someone in, in the family goes to treatment. Like, it isn't that all of a sudden the person that went to treatment creates chaos. The person that went to, tria- to treatment brings everybody in front of the chaos. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody kind of is like, oh, everybody we've kind of known it. that this was all a problem for a long time, you know. Uh, and we're finally just in front of it. Yeah. That's what I think he sees as a benefit. That when, uh, uh, even I was reading something recently and he said, you know, to have living faith, you need to be like conflicted or I don't remember how he said it. And so I just think he's bringing these things forward, which is we live in a really different world than we did say a hundred years ago or something that and he said before that the the church is in this like epical shift like something's happening right now that's never happened before and so he has us in front of all of this and one um this document is really bringing us in front of the different every one of our families is filled with challenges uh what the controversy is around is in one of the chapters he talks about the circumstances uh, in Scripture. The Lord clearly says that uh, uh, marriage is a permanent institution and um, that... So the practice of the church has always been that once you're married, you're always married. Yep. And then if you get into a second relationship or if you end up in a circumstance of, um, of sin, then you aren't supposed to be... You don't receive communion. Yep. Um, in many cultures, this is totally normal. In America, w- you know, we all receive communion all yeah. the time, and so it's, there's this like di- there's this thing going on anyway. So, so, so the he's point saying, is, for divorced and remarried Catholics that haven't received an annulment, can they or can't they? Should they, they cannot? Or they should they not present themselves communion. for communion. They should, they should not, not. But yeah. now, and he's murkiness. basically this conversation is going on, and you know, some bishops are saying, "Oh, yeah, the Holy Father in this document is saying you can," and some yep. are saying, "No, he's just reiterating." But he's oh, he's like not coming down and just saying it clear because he wants us to be in front of it. Um, and we're used and, to, or they're probably used to it. The last two pontificates, which was about forty years worth of having clarity, oftentimes in our in our doctrine oh. or in the practice, in the sense that. There are a certain group of people that want Pope Francis to come out and just say, this is what I meant, or this is what, sure. yes, no, black, white, and that's not what we're getting from this pontificate. Yeah. We're getting more of, all right, here you go, and <laughs> uh, uncertainty out there as the conversation is occurring within the church. Uh, did you read anything from John Paul II? There's nothing of clarity in there. <laughs> hey, that guy just t- writes <laughs> circular. Oh, let's say the same thing again and again. Have you? Yeah, hey, you're tapping uh, my guy now. This is, <laughs> no, what I would say, I, this is my opinion. I'm, I'm just one more person, so 
please. Yeah. What I see happening, though, is we lived in a very clear world prior to the Second Vatican Council. Everything was like, here's the answer. Even the education of seminarians was done by manuals. Confession was done like, here's your... Oh, yeah, we're still know. using the, the formula of the Council of Trent for catechesis, basically question and answer, which the Baltimore yeah. Catechism... So I would just say we're in a framework. continual transition. The church is slow, and... Holy Father Pope Francis might be a, a greater example of it, but I would say in some sense um, there's been a continual less like here's the answer. I mean, when you read Benedict's stuff, you don't get like this question, you know, here's all your yeah. rules. And, and to some degree, not um, the historical uh, growth of the papacy, if you will, uh, we do live in an age where the papacy is very strong and we have a clear understanding of the Bishop of Rome as the leader of the universal church. And, uh, you know, I don't know that that clarity existed for 2000 years as much as it does today in its pinnacle, but we've always understood the church historically has always understood. If you got a problem doctrinally, send it to the Bishop of Rome and find out what and, he thinks. Yeah. And I think part of what he is saying is it hasn't been that way all the time. It doesn't have to be all the way of the time. Like I'm not, my role in the Holy See isn't to rubber stamp everybody's conscience. My role isn't to not no longer need a bishop in every diocese, and I just kind of like give you all the answers for your bishops. Uh, there's there's collegiality. There's this movement, and actually every bishop has authority and autonomy in a great degree in his own diocese. Yeah. And I would say he is moving us more back toward toward that. But then, interestingly enough, then he makes you know then he can be really authoritative in certain things too. Uh, so, but to talk well, about, I guess yeah. So so all right. With the question, and I guess to finish on, a, on one note, divorce is extremely common, and I suppose as a pastoral practice for you guys as priests, this isn't something that you deal with once in a while, but it's probably a pretty common experience where you're dealing with couples for a variety of reasons in relationships, uh, either with previous marriages or in separate, separation looking to go into other mar uh, uh, relationships. So this is probably a good conversation to have in the church at this time, would you say? It is, I think, the one reality that I'm realizing is the the depth of, of faith or relationship that, that people have with Jesus Christ isn't as deep as we'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. And so for them to be presented with a difficult teaching and to not have the ability to go into prayer and to really wrestle mm -hmm. with Christ himself around that issue, I think this is the challenge that I see is bringing our people back to a deeper prayer life and a deeper understanding of Christ working in their life. So whatever the challenge is, that they they can, in prayer, really be wrestling with this. But what I see is we haven't really taught our people to pray well. Mm. And so they run into a conflict, their marriage falls apart, not by their own fault even, uh, whatever. Whatever situation comes yeah. up, and all they have is an intellectual discussion. And, and that ability to be able to, to spiritually walk with them. And I think that's what the Holy Father is trying to get people to do as well, is to say, where is Christ in this? And how is Christ working in this difficult situation? Uh, and in that sense, oftentimes that type of a person is going to see the church in an authoritarian manner. Right. It either lets me do something or doesn't yeah. let me do something. It the arbiter. Me. The other thing I, I think we have to be honest about is there's all kinds of people that are in situations that aren't good. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I think the difficulty in our in our modern day is we just sort of cherry pick one and then we, we work on it. And it's like everyone else, 
you know, sort of gets, gets set pass. aside. So sometimes the couple will say who is sitting in the pew, well, Father, I know five other people who shouldn't have gone up. Yep. <laughs> Why do they get to go up? Yep. And it's like, well... <laughs> It's a larger yeah. question. And this, and this is where one thing in this text, so if, in the details of it's it. It's the joy it's, of love, it's by written, the way. It's yeah, it's the joy, joy of, of love, love, and it's, it's written for the universal church. So someone in America is going to read this with a particular way, and then someone in Mexico is going to read it a different way. Because in Mexico, everybody just kind of goes up if they want to go up, and a lot of Mexican people don't receive communion very regularly. And so for them, they can go to Mass and not feel this pain of, I can't go to communion, whereas in America, you know, we all go up in our nice single file lines. You know, the, that's the beauty of seminaries. You go to school with people from all over the place. And, uh, I remember being there with Peter Dada, uh, who is Lebanese, Maronite Catholic. And, uh, you know, for him, he often would not go up for communion. And I don't think it was because he was in a serious state of sin or anything, but he just had a cultural practice that's, that kind of formed him. Well, he was used to having confession available before every mass. So if he needed, he could go, you know. Yeah. But for them as a culture, they didn't all go up. And you could watch and see that. Well, for us, boy, if you don't go up, I mean, what's wrong? You know? <laughs> so there is a stigma that we then place culturally where people might not have that practice. But I think it does force all of us to stop and say, listen, are we worthy to receive our Lord? Where is our soul right now? How, you know, how, how have I been preparing for the reception of our Lord, our King? I mean, think about what that really is that we're going up and receiving. And and again, though, if you come from the Holy Father's perspective, he's also proposing at the same time that the communion is for those who are unworthy. And so there's two different dynamics that you can take in front of the Eucharist. One, I need to get my, I need to be in a worthy, like beautiful state. And another one is, I'm really unworthy. I need you. And so that now, and the clarity the church says, if you're in a state of mortal sin, don't. But yeah. There's a lot of yeah, like not mortal is. sin that a person has to walk through. Uh, let's, take a, let's take a quick break, and then let's come back, and let's take a look at a paragraph from The Joy of Love. There's so much in there, uh, but I think there's one little paragraph I kind of pulled out, and I thought, wow, this is fantastic, and we hope that you will uh, dig into it, too, for all our listeners out there. So, Rutten Radio coming at you live. Thank you to the sponsorship of Mount Marty Radio, and we'll be back in just a minute. Dr. Beecroft and First Class Dental Care are proud supporters of Lamb Catholic Radio. First Class Dental Care offers a wide variety of restorative, cosmetic, and preventative techniques and is open late to fit busy schedules. Their aviation-themed office works to provide first-class services. Their number is 271-9330, and their website is firstclassdentalcare.com. Thank you to Dr. Beecroft and First Class Dental Care for your support of the Lamb Catholic Radio Network. Howdy, partner. I'm inviting you into the Pizza Ranch on 41st. They got my brand of great food and fun in the fun zone. Pizza Ranch offers their buffet and play combo. Great food, great fun in the arcade, and your kids are always safe when they play. The Pizza Ranch has daily specials every day because we know you want a great value. Let the Pizza Ranch will make sure you get it. So mosey on into the 41st Street Pizza Ranch, or you can walk if you don't know how to mosey, but come for the fun, the friends, the food. For goodness sake, fill her up at the Pizza Ranch on 41st Street. See you here. My name is Dr. Matt Hayes. I'm an orthopedic radiologist at Stanford Health. I completed my undergraduate degree at Mount Marty College. It doesn't matter what walk of life you come from, I was welcomed with open arms. I would give high school students the following advice. I wouldn't overlook a smaller school. A small school allows you to excel individually. 
One of the things that led me to excel was having professors that know every student's name. They personally know you. The professors truly judge their success by the success of their students. The ability of the professors to instill in them a desire to lifelong learn, community, and above all, faith. Mount Marty does this better than any school in South Dakota. There's a lot of professors that can teach, but there's only there's so few that can motivate you to go above and beyond what you've even thought possible. Mount Marty College will instill in you an unshakable sense of faith that will allow you to lead and serve in your future and in your career. Jardine Construction would like to congratulate both the O'Gorman Knights boys and girls basketball teams on a great regular season and wish them luck in the state basketball tournament in Rapid City, March 16th through the 18th. Jardine Construction is a proud supporter of O'Gorman Knight activities.
And now back to the Rutten Brothers. Here's Joe Rutten. All right, brothers, how we doing here? We uh, are in the second half hour of the first hour of Rutten Radio. <laughs> father paused laughing at me over there. We hadn't even started. I don't know what he's What's going on, I don't know. Father? Well, everybody's got a picture that they're looking at but me. Oh. <laughs> so I didn't it's show, it, show and tell. God, here's my picture. Show and tell. Somebody didn't, I didn't get the memo. You didn't get the memo early I didn't get the memo enough. to bring yeah, my You went to picture. bed before Joe wrote I get, the I got agenda. Divine Mercy. Father Varus, you got anything? Oh, man. Father Varus has Jesus. Okay. All right. Well, anyways. So I just noticed. I was wondering. I'm like, everybody's looking at a picture but me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, I can't wait so, to hear what this is So about. maybe this. Or go, go ahead. Yeah. In Germany. What do you got here, Father this is This is for this. Oh, all right. All right, so we're going to talk a little <laughs> bit about uh, Pope Francis's The Joy of the Gospel. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, probably none of our listeners really care, but is it uh, an apostolic exhortation or is it an encyclical, Father John? Um, I don't know. Let's read. <laughs> I think it's an exhortation. It's an apostolic exhortation. Uh, and the only reason that matters is if the bishop is listening or any priests in the diocese or are Dr. out there listening. Or Dr. Bergwald. Dr. We don't want them calling in saying... You know, thinking that we don't know what we're doing here. And Lord knows that the bishop <laughs> might ordained right. you two, so. All right. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. I'm not sure we do know what we're doing. All right, so Amoris Letizia, uh, the joy of love. Uh, let's, let's talk about it a little bit here. There, it's an unbelievable uh, work. But Angie, uh, who's a shirt-tail cousin uh, from the Minnesota Ruttons, she married into the clan, God bless her soul, Um. <laughs> She said that she's been reading it a paragraph a night, paragraph oh. a day, and she just posted one of the paragraphs, and I was like, wow, that is unbelievable. And she said, yeah, you know, the, the controversy around it has kind of kept people from talking about it or actually reading it. And she was like, this stuff is beautiful. So I just thought, let's read a paragraph, look at it, then we can kind of share our thoughts uh, about it. But So this is from paragraph 226. Of the joy of love, it says, Young married couples should be encouraged to develop a routine that gives a healthy sense of closeness and stability through shared daily rituals. These could include a morning kiss and evening blessing, waiting at the door to welcome each other home, taking trips together, and sharing household chores. Yet it also helps to break the routine with a party to enjoy family celebrations of anniversaries and special events. We need these moments of cherishing God's gifts and renewing our zest for life. As long as we can celebrate, we are able to rekindle our love, to free it from monotony, and to color our daily routine with hope. Wow. (laughs) Wow, that is a powerful, powerful, packed paragraph that Pope Francis put together for us. So first, it talks about one married couples. So he's addressing marriage. Right? He says young married couples. Well, all right, so young married couples, but any married couples. We should develop a routine that gives us a sense of closeness and stability. Oh, that's, uh, you know, I remember Father Jim Mason talking about when his father would come home uh, every day from work, that he would first go and say hello and give his wife a kiss before he'd say hello to the children. And what he said was it instilled in us a sense of priority that that mother and father were essential, and from them came, we come, you know, and then it next. 
So anyways, this daily routine, what's, what's the benefits of having a routine in marriage? What if, what if you're the you're marriage asking one? to a priest? Oh, oh, man. All right. Well, here we go. What, so what is the benefit of a routine yeah. in marriage? I mean, oh, I, you Lord could ask mercy. Mercy. We should have switched this around. Have I mean, you guys Lord have mercy. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about this. Just the routine of prayer. You guys are married. You guys are married to the church. You're married to, uh, you, you know, your liturgy of the hours. And so, Ooh, good so, so when we look at, when we look at uh, being in relationship, right, when we look at, having closeness and stability how why is it important what happens when we don't have stability or we don't have a closeness in relationships i just find i end up at the fickleness of my own uh sentimentality or my own whims or whatever you know if there's a stability if there's a routine uh it it allows me to walk forward when I kind of like, eh, I don't really need to do that right now. And I'm like, no, mm. go to the chapel and pray. And there's there's a certain, the church puts it into our life. We are obligated to pray the liturgy of the hours. There's a routine. Mm. The order, the rhythm brings me back to Christ. Mm. Brings me back to Christ. And uh, if I don't have that, then I get like off and, oh, I don't feel like this. I don't feel like that. Yeah, I think the the closest example would be when I was an associate with Father Shockert. It was just required. We prayed evening prayer at 5.15, and we ate supper at 5.30 mm. every night. They're just, except for your day off, there just wasn't a question. Uh, you would arrange your life around it, which was fine. But later on, when we would get busy with First Communion calls or whatever we had going on, we would sometimes have to miss it for legitimate reasons. And it was then that I began to realize how couples begin to drift. Because we usually got up at different times in the morning. We usually were running around. We were not at lunch. And I realized how quickly you can lose touch with the person you're in the same house with. Uh, and then we'd come back to the, to the prayer and to the supper. And you would realize how often you covered many topics. Talked about a lot of things. You know, worked through different problems or issues. Uh, because that was a routine. And if it wasn't part of it, uh, it didn't happen then. There wasn't that conscious time. You just simply saw him on the way out, uh, you know, and I, and I joke, I lived with another priest, uh, and it was like on day three that I hadn't seen him, uh, just schedule-wise, and I thought, what if he's dead? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what if he's in his room and he's dead, and they're all like, how did you not know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know, I, uh, we got up at there, I mean, like, yeah, but literally three days we went without seeing each other, Yeah, and I thought, oh, please don't let him be dead. <laughs> uh, thankfully he wasn't but but again so i think that's the the benefit of routine for for a community mm. uh couples are a community uh is just making that priority to come together uh to talk about things and spend time together because yeah, their marriage is still the same proposal of uh where two or more gathered in my name i am there so is that true do we have that truth or not? If that is true, then it's not just we just got married for some legal reason to do something or to, and then we live our own lives. No, like we live this life together and, to, and as we live it together, like this manifestation of grace that keeps us uh, in front of the world, in front of each other. But the, it's the, real time. Uh, and I think, again, you know, he talks about, you know, breaking the routine too because it can become just habitual and we forget why it's important. And I think for me, again, those moments where we didn't have dinner and came back to it helped me to know uh, the importance of it as well. 
you know, and, and I've said this before, you know, the church, we, we kiss the altar uh, before and after Mass when we come up again. So even the church asks the priest, in a sense, you know, that, that sign of affection, uh, this altar to which uh, the sacrifice will take place, we greet it with a kiss, yeah. uh, you know. The other thing I think it's a challenge is as you read this, at least for us who are older, you, you get the Ozzie Harriet, you know, leave it to Beaver, and you can become almost cynical, like, oh, who really stands at the door waiting for their spouse to come? <laughs> you know? And I think that's really the evil one trying to say to us, this is impossible. Like, you can't live this way. Nobody lives this way. Well, yeah, you can. Yeah, absolutely. If you choose to, you know, you can live this way in, in such a way that you're intentionally aware of the other uh, and the importance of the other coming and going. And that would be a great... Um, th- I, I've i heard the proselytism. A lot of people don't understand what proselytism is or there's this idea. And this idea of the new child really helped me understand this. And it's it helps here too because Christianity is to go about the world and say, look at my new baby. We just had this new baby. Look at this new baby. Well, what's, what's the matter? It's a fact. So you say, oh yeah, my husband and I, uh, we come home every night and we kiss like, that you were saying and and uh or my wife and i we go out every friday night and we do this. like it's a fact here's the baby this yeah. is what we do and so people can say it is possible yep. it's possible and then they might not choose to do it but well it's tempting to then go around and instead of putting your baby before everybody tell everybody you should have a baby how come <laughs> you don't have a baby you should have a baby yeah. and then it puts them in fear well what else does it do or maybe they're not ready or whatever it allows the person that has the baby to to say things that actually aren't what they're doing anymore. Oh, sure. And right. so you can say, "You should have a baby. You should have a baby." Well, we long stopped talking about our baby or our babies. Out. We aren't we aren't kissing when we come home from work anymore. I'm not praying every morning yeah. when I get up, or I'm not doing. But I'm still like telling everybody else to do it, as opposed to the witness as one who just speaks of their life in a way in which they're like, "Here I am. Here's who I see. This is the way I live." And people are like, oh, "You can do that." You know, think yeah. of the three of us. Why do people like to call in and listen here? It's not because we tell them anything that's helpful. No. They're like looking in on something. They're like, wow, those guys, there's something there. It's possible to be joyful. How is it possible? And still that- broken. Yeah, and still broken. And still brothers. And, and brothers, amen. I always, that's the best part. Oh, every time I think of John, I'm like, yeah, we can... But it's about an hour before we kind of get after each other. It's like, all right, separate them. You know, even as adult, As, as we get older, we're, yeah, we're making it like we can go an hour and a half now. Yeah, we can do room. an hour and a half, yeah. I got to get out of your day a half hour early just because of it. It's like, oh, man, I can't take him another half hour. Uh, so, so marriage. <laughs> the other day, yesterday, were you talking about the person in the womb? Oh, Jacob and Esau trying to get out of the womb, you know. Ja- was it Esau? What? Jacob was grabbing Esau's hand, t- uh, foot because he wanted to get out. And I thought, well, th- that you you rascal, Joe tied the umbilical cord around my neck. That's what it was all about. <laughs> you wanted out first. <laughs> you got to hold them up. Which he really did if you don't know that out there. Uh, we had to be C-section because the umbilical cord was around my neck. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first uh, time Joe tried to kill me. <laughs> but not the last. <laughs> uh, so as we think of marriage, you know, there's – a lot of people listening to be married, a lot of young couples maybe out there. And, um, you know, an image that just came to me about marriage, marriage isn't easy, you know. It's, it's, it, it, it forces one to confront selfishness yeah. that uh, I, I've always thought kind of is at the heart of many struggling marriages or separations is, 
one or the other or both. I mean, you really do have to die to yourself in marriage. It's, it's a very difficult proposition because of our sinfulness, because of our brokenness, right? Uh, and, but I think a reflection just came to me of Peter, right? Before Christ calls Peter, he's Simon, which means reed. And a reed blows in the wind. Is your marriage just something that just kind of is blowing in the wind? It doesn't have... Jesus comes and changes Peter's name to Kepha, to rock, to boulder, the foundation, solid. It's not going anywhere. Where is your marriage at if you're out there listening? It's a good thing maybe to reflect on and pray on. And then ask the Lord to be present there, to change you from being a reed to a rock to solidifying your marriage. So I just encourage you out there, if you're listening, if you're married, or if you know some married couples, maybe those that are struggling, to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and be present in marriages today in a new and refreshed way that solidifies them, that gives them stability, that brings couples together in a closeness that is new and revital. And through that, that those marriages continue to be witnesses to others that might be struggling, that they say, I want what they have and that they seek that out themselves. Amen? Amen. I, I uh, might add, I think it's important too, because of all of the people that I know, uh, that I'm helping through with an annulment process or something, mm. the reason most people that I know, concretely, is that marriages are struggle or whatever, is because people are broken, and when you enter the union, you aren't aware of that. And so down the road, these things come up, and you're like, What? Yep. Like, I didn't realize that this little issue would have this right <laughs> here. That's why people are it's struggling. Mm. Uh, that's what I see. I don't sure. know. And, yeah, and I mean, I think we live we, in a... Yeah, and we probably notice, uh, you know, uh, when you're doing marriage prep, often the things that they find, you know, cute or funny in the beginning are the things that will drive them crazy down the road. Oh, he's really spontaneous, which means later he never plans for anything. You know, and or I he's think, never but again, that, that ability, that, that challenge, though, for us uh, to see that. You know, how do you reveal the brokenness? But you first have to be aware of your own brokenness. And then as you're going into another relationship, to be aware that it's two broken people coming so together. So the crack runs deep, huh? But yeah, good. yeah. And, and in a sense, like, it, it does require a selflessness to, to get over that. But... Um, it's really like there's we're in a really broken culture. But Father Andrew Dickinson had this great little clip. Uh, Who, by the way, loves Benedict? Uh, Pope Benedict. Just you, you criticizing me and my love for John Paul II and his writing. <laughs> yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. Father, well, uh, he joined <laughs> in that. And so uh, <laughs> he says. He says most people think uh, being a priest is really difficult. Most people think marriage is really easy. He said from the outside, they're opposites. Most people are like, oh, I'm going to get married and like, oh, we're dating this person. And da, 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 da. Well, they get inside the marriage and it's like, this is really hard. <laughs> this is really hard. Like, I had no idea. This is painful. Yeah. Like, what, what is, this is not what I wanted. This isn't what we agreed to. Uh, on the outside of priesthood, people are like, why would you ever want to be celibate? Why would you ever want to live by yourself? Why would you ever want to do this? Why? Well, on the inside, priests are the happiest people there are. <laughs> because on the inside, we our expectation is it's not easy. 
Right. Our expectation is we live in a world of the scandals, and we shouldn't expect to like have people pat us on the back all the time or walk through airports and have people bow down to us. Uh, we so you go people, into it knowing this is not yeah. going to be an easy proposition. Low expectations. We go into <laughs> we go into the marriage. <laughs> Thinking, this is going to be fantastic. This is going to solve all my problems. Yep. And you get in and you're like, now I have my problems and their problems, and their problems are worse than my problems. And then we just had a couple other problems, and now oh, we got to deal yeah, with the kids. We just had a couple other yes. problems called children. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we multiplied yeah. it. No, yeah. And it yeah. was just a really helpful insight. And so the difficulty is we live in a culture that tells us this. It's, and so we get into it, and it's different, and it's really broken. And so most of the people that help in an omens or walk through all this, marriage counseling to come back together and strengthen them, retrovise a great program in the Catholic yeah. Church to help uh, with so difficult if, So if you're out there listening and you're struggling in your marriage, you're telling me there's, there's a things lot of out there to – tell me about a little bit about that hope. If I'm listening or if I know somebody that I might want to encourage uh, to strengthen their marriage, how might a person go about Trying to reconnect. You said retrovi. What's a retrovi? Retrovi is a, a program for difficult marriages or when you're in difficult spots. Uh, there's one in the diocese. There's most places, and it's pretty private. And you know, you, it's um, is it a retreat? It's is a it retreat. A yeah, you go to a retreat weekend and um, work on different spouses different go together. Mm -hmm. Yep. The other thing that I always say that that makes marriage, in my mind, kind of harder than the priesthood is there's not another person in a sense, reciprocating. Yeah. So in marriage, the other person can walk away. Mm. Uh, the other person can just abandon ship and there's nothing you can do about it in one sense. You're just, you're helpless. Whereas in the priesthood, I, sure, I could complain about the bishop, I could complain about my parish, I could blah, 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 all that. But when it comes to the end of the day, it, it's me. And it's me having to look in a mirror and say, am I living my priesthood? Mm -hmm. And where I see the great challenge is when you meet someone who's striving to live marriage and their spouse won't. Mm. And that pain that comes when you, when you can't make it, you can't make the other person do what they need to do, which will get them help and, and to be better. But, but you can't. And that's, I think, the hard part as well in walking with people is getting people to accept that sometimes I can't make, I can't fix the other person. Mm. Not that I intended to, but I've now come to that realization that they're broken and they're unwilling to get fixed. And, and, and that brings about, this is part, I think, the Holy Father's beauty in all of this is all of this stuff is what we want to avoid. And he's saying, no, we have to walk, we have to look at this <laughs> right. like really painful stuff. Why? Because then we come out of this aspect of trying to change the other person and realizing, Lord, I need you. Christ, yeah. if you aren't real, I'm toast. And you come to this personal dynamic that allows the infiltration of the Spirit and the grace of God to help me stand. And then I have something I can give the other. Yeah. Before, I've been trying to give it from me. And I'm like really crazy, but I don't want to admit I'm crazy, <laughs> so I'm giving more craziness and wondering why they're giving me craziness back. <laughs> Wait a minute, Lord, you're real. Like, yeah. what's this? And then we go into this sort of life of saying, like, Christ can be in the midst of this. Uh, uh, I think of I think it's St. Teresa of Avila's ecstasy. Um, the magnificent uh, marble carving. I think it's marble in Rome. And I remember looking at it, and it's uh, St. Teresa's. She has this divine ecstasy. I believe an angel's coming and piercing her heart. <clears throat> and I just remember, if I was, if that was my relationship with Jesus Christ, what in the world would bother me? <laughs> 
What is it that would distract me from Christ? And this is, this is it, right? Nothing can distract us from the love of God. But my problem is, is I'm not in love with God. I'm not in Teresa's ecstasy. And maybe that's where my focus needs to go. Maybe I need to go back to prayer. Maybe I need to look in the mirror. Maybe, and stop worrying so much about the world and more saying, all right, Lord, you're the Lord of my life. Help me. I remember a couple I met at this wedding and they were just gushing about this priest that had saved their marriage. Mm. Well, what does every priest want to do? You want to say, I mean, <laughs> I'm just like, we're, we've fought the whole thing. And I remembered year, a couple years later then having a couple come to me who was playing in this situation. So I called the priest up and I'm like, what did you do to save mm. their marriage? And he's like, well, I didn't do anything to save their marriage. I helped each one of them discover Christ in their own life. Right. Yeah. And they, yeah. And they saw that this was for their good. Yeah. I'm like, oh, bummer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shoot. No, no magic. I there was an easier solution. No magic potion. <laughs> now, we still haven't talked about that photo. Oh, you yeah, wanna, I was going gonna, I was gonna let, here. I was gonna be selfless well, and just like let the, the photo break, show. Before we go to the so, break, what do you got here? I was in New York City <laughs> and there was an exhibit on photography, and this World War II photographer hmm. uh, had this picture of Frankfurt, Germany, and the destruction. So the whole city has been is in rubble, hmm. and yet in front of this rubble, there's this new cup. There's this young couple holding arms. And as I looked at it, I thought, this is the Holy Father. The Holy Father is saying, we have to look at the rubble. But Christian marriage, the sacrament of matrimony, is this new life that enters into the city. He's stepping off the curb. They're going into that. We want to run from the rubble. No, Christianity goes into the rubble. And it also helped me see, new life doesn't come by structures. We can't rebuild the city until these people are rebuilt. And that's going to take time. It's going to be their children and their children their children but everything in new life is reborn through marriage well with that uh, we hope that you've enjoyed listening to Rutten Radio this morning as we've talked about uh, Pope Francis's apostolic exhortation the joy of love uh, beautiful paragraph 226 on marriage and we just told most importantly that if you haven't accepted Christ as your savior Ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart, to turn the heart of stone possibly that might be there into a heart of flesh, that you might invite Christ into your life, that you'd do so this morning. As we go to break, we want you to definitely, definitely uh, gear up for the second hour as we have a very special, special guest, Father Rich Veras from New York. All the way from New York, we flew him in. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll get back to him oh at the 8 o'clock hour here just in a couple of minutes. Uh, we'll also, before the 8 o'clock hour, give our prayer for the school kids as they start their day. So with that, thanks to the sponsorship of Mount Marty Radio, Rutten <laughs> Brothers coming at you live after the break. It's Mount Marty University or College. Your family is depending on you. Your family is looking to you to make sure that they are safe, protected, and taken care of. Knights of Columbus Insurance offers the protection they need, whether it is term life or whole life, long-term care insurance, disability income insurance, annuities, retirement planning, estate planning, or an insurance analysis. Please call Jason Lures at 605-270-3463 or Heath Dickelman at 605-351-7978. Knights of Columbus Insurance. 
Our diocese is blessed to have an abundance of resources and information available to us. To enrich your faith life, access information about marriage, family, and life topics important to you, including prayer and discernment, natural family planning, beginning and end of life care, videos about infertility and infant loss, assistance for those struggling with pornography, and much more. Find hope and help through the website of the Office of Marriage, Family, and Respect Life at sfcatholic.org backslash respect life. It is confidential and available 24 hours a day. Visit sfcatholic.org backslash respect life to help you with some of life's toughest questions. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for March 15th. Today we celebrate St. Louise de Marillac. All the obstacles in the world couldn't stop today's saint from pursuing the path in life God had in mind for her. Louise de Marillac knew that she was to undertake a great work under the guidance of another person she had not yet met. When she finally met that person, a holy priest named Vincent de Paul, she joined him in his work among the poor. Louise proved to be an answer to Vincent's prayers. She taught, organized, and won the hearts of peasant women who were themselves close to the poor. Four young women, some of them illiterate, joined Louise in her work. Soon there was a need for a rule of life for the community of women. With Vincent's guidance, they formed the Company of the Daughters of Charity. Despite her own poor health, Louise traveled throughout France, placing her community members in hospitals, orphanages, and other institutions. At her death in 1660, the congregation had more than 40 houses in France. Louise de Marillac was canonized in 1934 and named the patroness of Christian social workers in 1960. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. of the faithfully departed is being brought to you by Paulson Monuments in Canton, South Dakota. We guarantee you will notice the difference. We would like to pray today for the repose of the souls of Deacon Thomas Bates, Jerry Cole, and Jack McGee. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let your perpetual light shine upon them. May the souls of the faithfully departed, through the mercy of God, Rest in peace. Prayers of the Faithfully Departed has been brought to you by Paulson Monuments in Canton, South Dakota. The best quality, service, and value in the business. Captivated by your beauty 
Listening to Lamb Catholic Radio on KSJP 88.9 in Ipswich, Aberdeen, KSTJ 91.3 in Hartford, Mitchell, and Yankton, and 104.3 Juan Diego Radio in Sioux Falls. And now back to the Rutten Brothers. Here's Joe Rutten. Good morning, everybody. I hope we're doing well here as we head off to school with the kids or uh, maybe uh, getting them packed up and ready, getting their lunches ready. And uh, we always like to say a prayer. For the school children as they start their day, for the teachers and parents. And so I think I'll just turn it over to Father Paul and let him uh, lead us in a little spontaneous prayer for the kids and parents. All righty. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of this new day and the opportunity to learn more about you and the world that we live. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you may bless the teachers, that they be inspired to share their joy with their students. We ask you to pray for the parents as well as they drop their children off that they may entrust them and know that you'll be with them. We pray that the students may be docile to the Spirit as well. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you may bless this day and every day. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. I just realized, again, this is how the world works. Watertown's on spring break. There is oh. no school. Oh, really? So for you in Watertown who aren't taking your kids to school, oh well. Enjoy. Have fun today. Well, we've got our special guest here this morning, Father Richard Veris uh, from Bronx, New York, joining us. Father Richard, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to have you here. So uh, tell us a little bit uh, about what brings you to Sioux Falls. Why are you in town? Well, I came uh, to do a parish mission at, at Father John's Parish. We have a mutual friend, Father Michael Kniotek, who we met at the IPF in mm-hmm. Chicago. And my recollection is John had met me a few years ago at a, at a retreat 
and he was not particularly impressed with me. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. But Father Michael overtook Father Michael like three years saying, you should invite him, you should invite him, you should invite him. And, and so, somehow he wore him down. And so I got an invitation uh, to Sioux Falls uh, to, do the, to awesome. do the parish mission. So you're just finishing up uh, mission? We have, tonight's the, the final night. We so have did four looking, nights, and so 7 o'clock tonight at St. Lambert's. Gotcha. So if you want to jump in on the final night of that, I guess, if you're at St. Lambert Parish, certainly, but anybody in town, jump over to St. Lambert. So uh, the final night, we're having lemonade and cookies after. Afterward. Oh, lemonade okay. and cookies. Well, right. there you go. <clears throat> uh, so, Father, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from, your family? Uh, no, so I was born. I was born in the Bronx. The seminary I'm at now is a few miles away from where I was born. When I was nine, we moved out to Long Island, hmm. and I went to college there. And after that, I moved back into Manhattan gotcha. and worked in advertising for a little bit. And, oh. and then after a couple of years, discerned a vocation to the priesthood. So you became a priest. You, know? you bit the bullet and uh, jumped into the cloth. And tell me a little bit about your story. How did you come to recognize or to receive your vocation? Well, I remember when I was in college, I went to Hofstra University on Long Island. And my family was always uh, practicing, practicing family. I'm, I'm the third of four. And a friend of mine said to me, did you ever think of being a parish priest? And I said, that seems like the most lonely, horrible thing <laughs> anyone could do. So no, I have not thought of that. And, and I said, I remember saying, you know, if I was going to do something like that, I'd have to enter a, a community or a monastery because mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to do that alone. And so the same friend... After college, she had gone into the Missionaries of Charity, Mother Teresa's oh, Order. Yeah. Oh. And after a year and a half, she discerned out. Yep. And then called me and said, I think you would like it. Mm-hmm. So I went. Mother Teresa has an order of priests who began in the Bronx but are now in Tijuana. I believe they're in Tijuana. Um, so I did a come and see with them where you go for two weeks, you live the life with them. And the vocation director said, spend a year working with the poor and, and see how that goes. And then next year, you know, come back and... And so I spent a summer working uh, in a children's camp that they had in the Bronx, in a men's shelter. And during that year is when I met Communion and Liberation, which uh, the lay movement of the church through Father Jasani. I met CL 29 years ago this Friday. Oh, wow. And and then in June, I went back to enter the Missionaries of Charity. I was all ready to go. And I I sat with the, the vocation director, and he said to me, you know, I don't think you belong here. And I was crushed because oh, my whole oh. gear was geared toward, because to me, I saw community. You know, and up to that point in my life, you went to church every Sunday, but you didn't really know anybody. And, it, and, and he said, I've seen you working with the poor, and you don't love it. Ooh. And, and I thought, wow. And, and he said, no. He said, you see, we who are here, we really love it. I love working <laughs> with the poor. He said, it's hard. It's a sacrifice. Wow. But I recognize Christ in the poor, so it, it gives me energy. And he says, that's not happening with you. Mm. Which, and he said to me, you know, Christ doesn't want you to sacrifice your happiness. Mm. He's going to call you through your happiness. I was blown away because I, it was just this newness that, very incarnational, that he's discerning vocation just by watching, by watching oh, me, by looking yeah. at, and, and he wasn't interested in numbers. You know, he could have right. had another number, but he was interested in, in my good. So, I, I mean, I was really crushed. And, and he said, he knew a little bit about CL. He said, you know, stay with those people in CL. Do whatever young Catholics in New York do. And, and he said, see what happens. I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, I, I'm sure God has a vocation for you. So I left. And part of it, I felt relief. Like, I tried the priest thing. They said no. And so now I'm, now <laughs> I'm free. free. <laughs> and then, yes. And then a, a, a few months later, I was living. My, I moved in. I met uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral had meetings of the slave movement, communion liberation. At that time in New York, 
1988, it was mostly, we were mostly young workers, a few years out of college working in Manhattan. And I moved in with two other guys who were uh, involved with CL, and one of them was trying to break into theater and film, ended up working for New Line Cinema for many years. But at that time, he had come home one day and he got a part in an off-Broadway play, and he was completely excited. So this is now a few months after the Missionaries of Charity told me, we don't think you belong here. And I was, I was so jealous of him. I was trying to act happy, but he knew me well enough that you know, it wasn't really working. And, and I remember I went into my room and I thought, what's wrong with me? What, what, I'm a terrible person. I'm not happy for my friend. I'm jealous. <laughs> and, and because of the education we received in CL, Father Giussani is always talking about you know, getting to the bottom of things and not, not that Christ is at the center of reality. Don't be afraid of reality. So I thought, it's not enough that I'm just going to go and confess that I'm, I'm jealous. I want to get to the bottom of this. So I thought, you know what? I don't want to be in an off-Broadway play. So I'm not jealous of that. What am I jealous of? And I thought, I'm jealous because he's got this sense of adventure in his life, the sense of enthusiasm. I want that. Mm. And I thought, well, when did I have that? And I thought, you know, I, I had that, that year I was thinking about the missionaries of charity. But at that point I thought, but you know what? The vocation director there, he was right. I don't love working, I, I didn't love working with the poor the way, the way they did, so that must not be it. And then I thought, you know, but mixed up in the missionaries of charity proposal was a possibility of priesthood. Mm. And as soon as I thought that, I had a little glimmer of that sense of adventure. So I thought, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if it's priesthood. So I went back to the priest who was my spiritual director, who I met through the Missionaries of Charity. He was a diocesan priest. A very, he, just, he just passed away a few months ago, Father Richard Nielsen, a really saintly, saintly, a real father. And after the Missionaries of Charity experience, I, I, he asked me about the priesthood again, and I said, I'm not going to come see you if you ask about the priesthood. Like, I'm done with that. <laughs> so I went back, and this is a few months later, after this experience with my friend, and I said, you know, I, I think I want to think about the priesthood. And he said, okay, is there another religious order? And I immediately said, no. No, well, because I met a lay movement. Like during this year, I met this lay movement where the proposal is Christ is present in life, in reality. So I said, I just want to be a regular priest, like just a regular mm -hmm. ho-hum parish priest. I don't <laughs> want anything, anything special. And so from there, I went to the, I entered the diocesan seminary for the Archdiocese yeah. of New York. St. Joseph's. St. Joseph's in Yonkers. And you've been ordained for? For 20 years. Wow. It'll be 21 in May. Wow. Thank you. What a service to the church. What a witness. You know, there's a, it, it, it's an interesting insight or an important insight that that vocations director saw um, that maybe you didn't see at the time, and that is joy. You know, happiness and joy in the yeah. midst of your vocation, whether it's marriage or a religious life. Uh, the importance. We need all the joyful witness we can get uh, in today's age because without faith without Christ, that's going to be a challenge, but we don't always see that when we look around the pews. And, so and, and Jesus said, my task is easy, my burden is light. So mm -hmm. it's very impressive when the vocation director said, yeah, it's, it's, it's a task serving the poor, but for me it's light because uh, there, there's a love. Yeah. 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 Good. Well, uh, you've gained a name for yourself or a rep reputation for yourself uh, simply by attaching yourself to Magnificat. Now, for those out there that are Magnificat subscribers, which are many, I hear uh, word on the street is that you might uh, do some work with Magnificat. I write, I've been writing, Magnificat began in 1999, and so I wrote on and off for years, and now I pretty much write uh, a, a little monthly, a little monthly essay for them. Father Peter Cameron, who's the editor, 
he was my homiletics professor in the seminary. In fact, I was his first homiletics oh. class at St. Joseph's Seminary. He was a part-time professor, and we remained friends. Hmm. Um, after that. In fact, he's become very involved with communion liberation. Oh. Because after one of the classes, he wanted to know why I preached the way I preached in preaching class. And so I said, well, I, there's this movement of communion liberation, and it's really great. And he said, no, that, that, I don't think that's it. I thought, no, I think it is. I think it is. <laughs> and then he started meeting other people that he was impressed with, so he, he got involved. So after I was ordained, I would spend many of my days off going to visit Peter Cameron. And I remember it began January 99 in America Magnificat. It had started in France. And I remember going to see him, and he said, Rich, I have three possibilities that my order is proposing to me. And he told me the three possibilities. Uh, I forget the other two, but one possibility was this magazine. And I said to him, well, I don't know what to tell you, but I would ditch that loser magazine idea. Because <laughs> he said, well, it's got a modified morning and evening prayer. And I said, yeah, but people want to pray morning and evening prayer are just going to get a breviary. And it's got the daily readings. I said, well, you know, they have readings and missiles. <laughs> so I should never be a marketer. I should never, <laughs> I should never ever be a marketer because it's, it's been it's done guy, incredibly well. The it's guy incredibly who told well. Father Peter not to do Magnificat. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. But he didn't listen to it. No, no, he didn't. Th- thank, thank God. God. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> so everybody out there, you can just pray. You those, know what? Maybe all those people who are buying Magnificat that I didn't think existed. Maybe, maybe you know? Father Peter was was like myself when somebody else tells you not to do something. You're like, you know, in spite of them. So well, maybe see, well, that, that's you were really why I told him. I knew it was going to be a hit, <laughs> and I thought, well, let me. <laughs> uh, well, Father, I, I, uh, Father Paul, and you have a connection. Of sorts, you're a priest out in New York, and uh, I think you know a cardinal out there that mm-hmm. um, trained Father Paul uh, in seminary, Fa- uh, Cardinal Dolan. Father Paul, uh, tell us a little bit about Cardinal Dolan. Yeah, well, we knew him as Monsignor Dolan, uh, and he really, he is who he is. It, it, he, he's the same guy no matter who he's in front of, and I think that's one of those things we're not used to. Uh, so I'm sure that's what he was like as Father Dolan as well. Um, you know, and what, uh, the, a couple of things that we've said, you know, I think one of the things that probably imprinted upon me, uh, a profound image was Monsignor Dolan walking around the, the seminary, uh, praying his rosary and smoking a cigar. Uh, and it was these two worlds sort of colliding. <laughs> and I thought, that's not what people say you should do. Uh, you know, you should either pray the rosary and be pious, or you smoke cigars. But you don't do those together. But Colonel Dolan didn't care. Uh, that was who Cardinal Dolan was. This is what he wanted to do. And what it did is it showed me kind of a sense of a real masculine priesthood, a joy. Uh, he was willing to make fun of himself, uh, but a great love for the, the priesthood. And uh, great memory, too. I mean, he could remember people and things and uh, and whatnot. Uh so I was grateful, you know, for that. Uh, but yeah, he's quite. So then, uh, Father Luke Sweeney uh, was in seminary with me, and uh, he was of the archdiocese. And so when Dolan came, nobody really knew who Dolan was. And Luke is like, "You guys are in for a ride. Just wait till you get this guy." Uh, and again, it was you know he just sort of fit right into the big New York. You know, loved. You know, he said he'd sit on the street and uh, you know listen to the baseball game and talk to cabbies as they went by. Like, that's just what he loves to do. And, uh, so it, it was a great... And then Peter Cameron was my homiletics professor as well. Oh, uh, I didn't know at that. At North American College. Yeah, so 
I was in seminary 98 to 2002, so he brought us the Magnificat. So we got it for free. That's why we got it. They get it for free at Dunwoody now, too. And so, too, you probably had some influence because I preach because of him in a different way. And people will ask me, you know, why do you preach the way you preach? And one of the things that Peter Cameron had said is, if the people can't tell that the gospel has moved you, why should it move them? Yeah. And so it's that challenge of, you know, I don't think people realize, you know, for people who preach this way, it's really vulnerable because you're really opening yourself up. And it's not just, oh, I got the subscription to homiletics and I'm just going to read you a nice story. No, this is what happened to me. Uh, and then I remember, you know, he, he talked about the parable of the talents, which he said was never preached right. Nobody ever preached it right. It's not about natural talents. Not about natural talents. So whenever it comes up, I always say, Peter Cameron says it's not about natural talents. Well, not every priest preaches it that way. And so a couple of people came back and said, well, every other priest I've ever heard says it's about natural talents. And I'm like, mm. Peter Cameron says it's not about natural talents. Uh, and, and he's right. You know, that, that ability to, to say if God is at work in whatever it is, uh, there's a joy, there's a multiplication, uh, and it's not just my natural talent, but there's something deeper in it. So both Peter Cameron and, and, and our, our Cardinal Dolan uh, are two men that, you know. Wow, small world. I remember in our the, the first homiletics class, I don't know if he taught homiletics before 98, he might have, but it's the first class that he taught at Dunwoody that I was in. And, you know, you, you get the theory, and then it comes where you're going to make your practice homilies. And the first guy got up, and I will never forget, and it's been a help to me and all my classmates since. Like you said, people notice you, you preach differently. And so the first guy got up and he starts his, hom- his practice homily. He's like a sentence and a half in. And Peter Cameron says, oh, what's, what's that voice? What's going on? I've never heard that voice before. Are you possessed? What's, what's going on? Because he said, he said, please, I don't want preaching voice. When you get up there, I want to hear you talking the way you talk at the dinner table, the way you talk in the hallway. Please, don't have preaching voice. But all of us were so jarred because he, he screamed out like he'd, been, like he'd seen a horror movie. And we never <laughs> forgot it. And so many of my classmates have said, the people in their parish comment, you talk to us. When right. you preach, you talk to us like you talk. And so he's a, he's a real blessing as a homiletics yeah. professor. The other thing wasn't, maybe he did it with you guys, we couldn't have notes and we couldn't have a podium. So we just had to stand there. <laughs> uh, you know, in a sense, as naked as naked could be. And again, it, it was forcing you into a place where you had to learn how to preach in a different way. And he said, you know, you can go to your parish, you can have notes, you can have a podium, all those things. But he said, we're going we're gonna to learn how to do this with no crutches, no things to stand behind uh, and, and to learn that way. The seminarians now, because he's, he's still at the seminary, at Dunwoody, he still teaches homiletics there. And to this day, the seminarians, they have him in second theology, fall semester, and then third theology spring semester and it's such a joy when the guys go into second theology and have him because they love his class aside from preaching because they say he's he brings he brings you humanity in front of christ and there's so just just the the, the initial sort of theory part of the class is very freeing for them oh that's great you know everybody there's a, a teacher at heart that i am boy i love there are a couple of professors that just gave me life like you looked forward to their classes, you know, a Dr. Thompson or a Dr. Boyle or Dr. Briel, or I just look at it and I think, man, the life that they gave me. 
Um, who are those people in your lives that maybe inspired you or kind of in your priesthood or in your formation that you said, you know what, and then what was it that they gave you? What, what, what was it about them that they had that attracted you? <laughs> so I get start first. I do think that, the, you know, back to, to the book, The Joy, you know, I think it was uh, as well, you know, I think we've seen a lot of unhappy priests. Uh, and, I, and maybe that's not really true, but the way you saw them, it, it just seemed like a grind. Uh, and not a healthy grind, and and to to begin to meet priests that they're just filled with joy, and I, again, I think you know Cardinal Dolan was, you know, just filled with joy, and uh, you know he'd wander the halls looking for food, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and so he'd make these pastoral visits because he would visit everyone's room and bless it in, in your first year, uh, and the rumor got out quickly that you should provide something uh, for Monsignor Dolan uh, as a gift, uh, and one of my friends. Father uh, Dave Desmond, uh, he said, well, Monsignor, would you like, you know, a candy bar? And he said, it better not be one of those fun sizes, because that ain't no fun. <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully, he had a bigger candy bar, you know. But again, it was like, well, he's going to tell it like it is. And, you know, those aren't fun at all. Well, but but again, the joy. And then to see him uh, and Monsignor Yerish, uh, they, Monsignor Yerish was our economo. Uh, the finance guy and Monsignor Irish was going down in health and they were good friends and to see their friendship uh, and to see the love that the two of them had for each other as, as friends, as priests uh, and the challenge, you know, of that uh, as well. But, you know, so for me, those would be uh, important. I think uh, Bishop Carlson was a big influence as well when he came mm. in. That's when I came into the, to the seminary uh, was with Carlson as our bishop, uh, Bishop Dudley. There's, there's just... There's a, there's a lot of them out yep. there. Good, Father. You have any mentors or yeah, I mean, inspirations? Many, many. You know, when when you think about your path, you know, I mean, this priest, Father Richard Nielsen, you know, who I met when I did that come and see with the missionaries of charity, and I continue to go to him for spiritual direction and and as a friend, and you know, he he was a real father. He was just a real father, and I think on so many occasions, you know, you go to him and you're you're all about your weakness or, you know, and, and he, it was like he saw through that to something, to something else. You know, it's, it's like, it's if he saw, he saw, he saw that part of you that Christ was calling and, and he wasn't scandalized by my weakness the way I was scandalized by my weakness. Sure. And that was something, you know, it, it gave you a completely different gaze on yourself. You know, and that was, so that he was, he was really amazing as a father and when I was at Dunwoody, our scripture professor was Sister Timothy Elliott. After that, she was many years uh, uh, at the Denver Seminary. Mm. And she just approached scripture with, with such wonder and openness, you know, that she, she, instilled, she instilled wonder in us, mm. you know. And, um, and then, for me, having been, you know, having been active in CL from before the seminary, through the seminary, through my priesthood, so many, so many lay people... And so one of the most important people for me was this, was this guy, Luigi, an Italian guy. He was a shoe salesman, and he came to New York, and he was leading the CL meeting. And, uh, and, and the, the joy he had in front of life, and, and he, he was filled with Christ in, in the midst of uh, 
his secular profession, the secular world, and so he's, he sort of showed me there's, there's not a division. Mm. You know, there's not a division between the, in a certain sense, the sacred and the profane. He's, he's, yeah. Present, yeah. he's present anywhere. That communion and liberation, or CL as they refer to, if you're interested and you're out there and listening and you have no idea what, what they're talking about, check with Father John or uh, <laughs> yeah. St. Lambert Parish, um, but check out some of the groups. There's a little bit of that running around, and boy, is it worth something, uh, something worth looking into. Well, Father, you mentioned your scripture professor. Uh, you yourself got a little bit of education uh, in your background being a high school teacher, and uh, you even put out a book here about scripture. First, tell us a little bit about uh, your, your days as a uh, teacher, and then let's talk a little bit about your book. No, well, I, taught, I taught for four years at Stepanak High School in Westchester, an all-boys high school, and I taught freshmen, mainly freshmen and sophomore. And at that time, freshman year was Old Testament, and sophomore year was New Testament. And I'm sure you discover as a teacher, when you have to teach something, you learn it uh-huh. much, much more yep. than, than when you were studying it. And, uh, and so having to present you know, a full year of scripture, full year of Old Testament, full year of New Testament to 14 and 15 year old boys. Um, it, it, the circumstances just force you, you know, to, to go deeper. So the help from Peter Cameron, the help from Sister Timothy, Timothy Elliot, the help from Father Jasani, who looks at scripture in such a human way, I, I think prepared me. And then the experience of being in front of the students forms you even more. So the, this book came completely out of uh, high school lesson plans. Mm-hmm. In fact, it came through Peter Cameron. Oh. Peter Cameron called me one day and he says, Rich, look, this publishing company is going to ask me to do a book for them, but I, I can't. But I'm going to go to lunch with them and I'm going to bring you and say, I'm, I can't do a book, but he should. <laughs> and I'm, again, I'm not a great marketer. I said, please, I don't want to do this. <laughs> this is too embarrassing. No, 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 this is how it's done. But it was, that book was, was uh, based on my high school lesson plans. Oh. A lot of high schools use it for summer reading. Oh. I never did, because if they did that, I, what, what am I going to do in my class? So I was, hoping, I was hoping my students would not know that that book was there, so I could, they could come to me fresh in the class. Well, that's fantastic. So the book is The Jesus of Israel, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, you know, from my experience, I like the context. I think oftentimes uh, what people miss in relationship to the studying of the scriptures is the context of the bigger picture and the story of salvation history. Might you just fill us in a little bit uh, on that, and then a little bit about your relationship about finding Christ in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Well, what I found when I taught the Old Testament is finding Christ in the Old Testament, looking for the foreshadowings of Christ, that's what grabbed the boys. Mm. That's what made it not just, not just stories, but uh, that really fascinated them. Uh, and so everything, every, every unit that we did, I always wanted to you know, find where do you see this foreshadowing of Christ? And in the process, I found things I hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. And so, and I also believe it's, it's super, knowing salvation history is incredibly important because I remember before the seminary thinking, okay, there's Moses, there's Isaiah, there's, there's David, but who comes when and, yeah. and what happens and how does one lead, to the, one lead to the other? And so, for instance, the, the creation stories, you know, you've got the two creation stories that at the beginning of the year, I would, I would tell the boys, read the two creation stories. You know, there, there's the one where God says, let there be light, and it happens, and the, but then the second one is where he's in the garden. And I'd say, list for me the order that things are created in. And the order is different. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd have them dictate the order. I'd put it on the board, and I'd say, so, can they both be true? It was a little bit cruel, because the kids would just panic. Because, well, how can I say they can both be true? Because the, the order contradicts itself. But if I say, you know, uh, they can't, he's a priest, he's going to be mad at me. <laughs> and... 
No, and, and so I'd say, look, the, these stories, are, they're answering a question that's deeper than science. You know, if, if a doctor tells me I, I, I'm terminally ill, and I say, but why, but why, he can tell me the scientific reason, but that's not answering my question. My question is something deeper. And so the creation story is what I find fascinating. In the first creation story, God just says, let there be light and there's light. Let there be a dome over the skies. He just says things and they happen. And he's beyond his creation. He's mm -hmm. out there somewhere. In the second story, God is in the garden. He molds Adam from the clay with his hands. He plants a tree. He plants plants. He doesn't just say, let there be. He plants them. After the fall, he walks in the garden. He talks to Adam and Eve face to face. And so... You know, those two creation stories, I, I think they're proposing, uh, the question St. Francis asked in, in, in the wilderness, who are you, Lord, and who am I? And it's fascinating because who is God? Well, in the first story, he's mm -hmm. God. God yeah. is God. But in the second story, he's like us. Mm -hmm. He makes things like us. So right at the get-go, you've got this proposal that the God is God and God is somehow human. He's not human yet. There's not the incarnation. Yeah. But you, you get right away this... Uh, sort of foreshadowing of Christ. Mm. You know, and then after the fall, you know, Genesis 3.15, where the church teaches, this yeah, is the, the first gospel. This is the, this is the, the, the that how is the first sin, and how is the first sin responded to? They, they sin and they hear God walking in the garden. Mm. It's responded to by God's perceptible presence, mm. by, by being there, by going yeah. there as a father. You yeah. know, if, if your kids are, are hurt or sick, you, there. they need your presence. And then, and then there's this, what the church sees is a, a clear promise that, that mm -hmm. Christ is coming. So the, the response to sin is the presence of Christ, is God who I can, I can perceive. And so for me, it, so right at the get-go, you've got this, this foreshadowing, this promise that God's going to become, become flesh. Yeah, that's beautiful. If you're out there listening, uh, we're listening to Father Richard Veris with uh, just some beautiful, beautiful scriptural expositions. Uh, we, we call it in the, the field typology, the, the foreshadowing of people, places, and things uh, found in the Old Testament into the New. And this work of typology, like you said, the Proto-Evangelium, or the first good news that, that man's fallen, and then all of a sudden, right away in Genesis 3 and 15, comes this beautiful, beautiful passage of that the, you know, that the woman will crush the head of the serpent, you know, and it's like, oh, this is the foreshadowing of Mary and these great... Um, that you said your boys just kind of grabbed on to this Jesus in the Old Testament. What are some of those examples of people, if people are out there listening, it says, all right, what do you mean finding Jesus in the Old Testament? What are some examples? Well, if you think of the story of Joseph, one of the, if you read through the story of Joseph, there are very, there are very clear foreshadowings. You know, his brothers, he's, he's a favorite son of his father. He's a beloved son. He's a beloved hmm, son. His brother, right there. That's his, Jesus, the beloved. His brothers are jealous of him. They, 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 they want to kill him. They said, no, instead of killing him, we'll, we'll just throw him into this well. We'll throw him into this cistern. And, uh, and then they, they take him out to, to sell him into to slavery. And his, his other brother comes, and this, the cistern is empty. Where's Joseph? You know, like the, like the ah, empty tomb. Yes. Like the empty tomb. And Jacob mourns because his, uh, his favorite son, his favorite son has died. You know, at the end, well... The brothers go to see Joseph. They don't realize it's him. They don't recognize him. And it's interesting, the resurrection stories, in, in three of them, they don't recognize Jesus right away. Mm. But when his brothers realize what, realize what they've done, they weep. They weep. And Joseph tells them, don't weep. God was behind all of this. Mm. Because, God's, because this led to me coming to, to Egypt. 
helping with the famine, bringing life. So, so from, from hatred and, and, your, and your attempts to kill me and you're selling me into slavery brings life. And one of the beautiful things in the Joseph story is when, when Joseph is united with Jacob, Joseph runs up to his father and the scripture says he weeps in his arms. Mm. I think it says he, weeps for, he wept for a long time in his arms. This beautiful reunion of father and son. And that was the one story with the boys. I wouldn't do it in class. I wouldn't do anything in class. I would just assign them, read it, and give me the parallels that you see. And the boys came up with amazing parallels. When Joseph goes to prison, and it's uh, the baker and the butler oh, who, yeah. are, who are uh, advising him. And somebody says, well, it, it's, it's like the two thieves. It's like the two thieves. And the baker, you know, there's, there's bread, and the butler uh, brings wine. So uh, it was just amazing to see the boys, wow. you know, and it was clear enough that, that they could do it. They could, mm-hmm. you know, they could see it. So I was, I was amazed how often the students would recognize things that I hadn't thought. Oh, yeah. You know, getting out of the Old Testament for a second, Luke's Gospel, when Luke says Theophilus, my friend Theophilus. Yes. And we had already talked about the fact that Luke was a follower of Paul. And one of my students says, I wonder if Luke's friend that he's writing is Paul. Because Paul didn't walk with Christ. So Luke, for Paul, I'm going to investigate everything and put this together so Paul has, wow. you know, the whole story. But now that came from a sophomore <laughs> in high school. We oh. underestimate him, don't we? I yeah. find that the engagement of the imagination, you talked about your professor that uh, kind of inspired wonder in you, you know? And mm-hmm. boy, it's in us all. We all have this desire for wonder and awe. And sometimes I think that gift of the Holy Spirit, we need to quicken it. Uh, a little bit more into this age of new technologies and things of this. People can be quickly, they they fleet quickly from distraction to distraction. But boy, if you can engage a person, anybody, in these wonders of of the typology of the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's just a fantastic study that brings alive the sacred scriptures into a whole. It helps you understand the context and the bigger picture. Um, I think we're going to turn it over here. I'm going to take off. I'm going to let Father John jump in my stead and finish out the last half hour. We'll take a quick little break and we'll come back at you live with Father Richard Veras in just a minute. In today's economy, individuals and small business owners need a plan to achieve a secure retirement. Financial Benefit Company's philosophy is to develop secure financial plans for our clients by striving to live up to the promise, safe principle, positive return. Call John Fritch or Daryl Slykehouse at 605 604-8086. Financial Benefits Company is a proud sponsor of O'Gorman Knights Activities on the Voice of the Knights, Land Catholic Radio. My name is Dr. Matt Hayes. I'm an orthopedic radiologist at Stanford Health. I completed my undergraduate degree at Mount Marty College. It doesn't matter what walk of life you come from, I was welcomed with open arms. I would give high school students the following advice. I wouldn't overlook a smaller school. A small school allows you to excel individually. One of the things that led me to excel was having professors that know every student's name. They personally know you. The professors truly judge their success by the success of their students. The ability of the professors to instill in them a desire to lifelong learn, community, and above all, faith. Mount Marty does this better than any school in South Dakota. There's a lot of professors that can teach, but there's only there's so few that can motivate you to go above and beyond what you even thought possible. Mount Marty College will instill in you an unshakable sense of faith that will allow you to lead and serve in your future and in your career. 
Listen to the Knights of the Roundtable Coaches Show on Monday nights from 6 to 6.30 on the Lamb Catholic Radio Network 104.3 and 91.3 FM as we talk to Sioux Falls O'Gorman winter sports coaches and athletes. Knights of the Roundtable Coaches Show is brought to you by Pizza Ranch across from O'Gorman High School in Sioux Falls.
love strong, you and me. And now back to the Rutten Brothers. Here's Joe Rutten. Good morning, Sioux Falls! I had to do it. I get Joe's place. Yep. It's, ki- it's kind of like the smallest retribution I can get for him making me come out of the womb. The, the, que- the question is, is he listening? He is. Did you, he just told me. We just passed ways oh, okay. as I, he was leaving and I was coming in. He said, now, last time when I left here early, you guys were talking about me. I'm listening, so don't be talking about me when I leave. Right. <laughs> well, Joe's a big boy. So, <laughs> I'm Father John Rutten, and I'll be leading us for this last half hour. Uh, you know, as I was listening to you guys, num- a couple of things happened. Number one, it was really good to be in a position where I couldn't say anything. Yeah, we were talking about that. We said we oh, wouldn't have were. to talk. Because you had to spend a half hour not talking, so for the next half hour, you'll just talk. <laughs> <laughs> and give us everything I'm gonna, that I'm you... I'm going to try not to. Okay. I'm just going to say a couple right. of one. So, that was a good observation. <laughs> it's really good for us to listen. Yeah. And we get to see things play out. Uh, when I went to seminary, you guys were talking about F- Father Peter John Cameron, okay, and the influence that he's had in both of your lives, how it's influenced your preaching. And I was, I was uh, not even really in the church or practicing the faith when you first got ordained. And I remember the people saying, your brother preaches differently. It was just a fact. Like, everybody's like, your brother's amazing. Like, why? And that girl that was out at the sail barn, West River, and she had to get back to college because you were going to be there, and she had to hear you. And, um, yeah. uh, and, and Rick, so and, and no, and you need to finish it. And my, So she's at a sail barn, and my oldest brother, Rick, is there. And she's like, well, I got to get back to school. I got to get back to school. I got to go to Mass. You know, I can't, I can't miss Father's homily. And he's like, who's? Well, Father Paul Rutten. And he's like, you listen to my brother? he's like oh okay which is something so here we're young people and their attraction to the church or non-attraction to the church and here this woman's wants to go all across the straight state like west river's a long way away to hear you uh so peter cameron is at at a, a part of this father peter cameron is a part of this uh when i went to seminary my homiletics professor introduced into the homiletics course the book why preach oh which uh, peter cameron which is a wonderful wonderful yeah. book which is which written, is a great book yeah, which is written by father peter john cameron yeah. and that really nourished me and i was like this is this is really interesting mm-hmm. and so this connection that one person one person can have an influence that down the road you know uh changes many many people imagine the influence yeah. on preaching in america because of this strain that has moved. Uh, so, while the Lord can prevent you from shutting down Magnificat, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> thank, you, thank you, Jesus, for allowing this uh, introduction of preaching. But uh, the question I was going to open up and then let you, you two talk, and you can go back and forth about it, is the Butterfly Circus. So usually we talk about a movie that moved us, and then all of the people listening go out and watch it, but then we never talk about it again. So this is an opportunity for us just to circle back about this great little short film. If you haven't seen it, you can find it. You can find it online, uh, The Butterfly Circus. And the other day, yesterday, we're in the hallway, and he says uh, something about, oh, have you ever seen The Butterfly Circus? I show it every year to, uh, to, I show it to my, all my students. And I'm like, 
My brother Joe <laughs> shows that every semester to all his students. Uh, we just talked about the radio station. So I'd like to get your take on it and why you would propose this over and over again to people. Well, first, and it's, there's a great connection to the picture you had of the couple going into the mess. Because, you know, and I don't want to... I don't want to do any spoilers it's, uh, on the Butterfly Circus. It's, it's a 20-minute film. But, um, you know, it, it's a certain type of circus where the, the circus leader really takes the performers, he sees them as persons. And at, one, at the beginning of the film, they're going to a different circus where they really, they use their sideshow people for profit. And they're going to walk into this, one, the little boy, one of the little boys, uh, the son of one of the circus performers wants to go there. So the other... The other members of the Butterfly Circus don't want to go because they know what it's going to be. But the circus leader has no problem going into the mess. And when they walk into this, they walk into this sideshow and he looks at one of these uh, people who, who suffers, you know, he, he's physically deformed and he kneels in front of him. He kneels in front of him and, and, and says, you're beautiful. You know, and the other circus performers didn't even want to go into those sideshows. And so you see sort of the fearlessness of uh, the circus leader, and I, I, I can't remember his name in the, in the film. But I love showing it at the beginning of the year, particularly in my, my New Testament classes, because I think that film, it, ex- it shows you uh, the attractiveness of Christ. It, the, Christ is never mentioned, it's not, but it's a, very, it's a very easy to read allegory, which is also great for the students. But I think if you hadn't, haven't had the experience of the encounter with Christ, the Gospels can just seem like, well, there's these religious people and this religious guy comes along and the apostles are, are nice religious guys. But in that film, you see the attraction that the circus performers have to, uh, to the leader of the circus. And you see his exceptionality. And the kids were attracted to that character. And for the rest of the year, frequently when we would go through Gospel passages, the Samaritan woman, the calling of Zacchaeus, the kids could relate to the passage because they would go back and speak about that movie. And I think it helped the students understand that Jesus Christ was humanly attractive. There was something, it wasn't that he's going to satisfy my spiritual aspect or he's going to make me a better person or I'm going to follow the rules better. No, there's a, a human attraction that's there. And it's, you know, for teachers, it's 20 minutes. So in a 42-minute class, you show it, and then you, you speak about it. And I've shown it to students as young as 7th grade. I gave a confirmation retreat, and I wanted to show it on the retreat. And I get there, the tech is all messed up, and they couldn't find it on the computer, and it ends up being projected on a small screen, really, really small. I thought, and we've got 80 kids in this gym, and I thought, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And the screen was, like, slanted and distorted, <laughs> and I thought, like... <laughs> and the kids were completely drawn there's a certain there's a certain moment when uh one of the main characters you know falls into the water and the kids all jumped in their seats and i thought this is a well-made film because these kids it's a teeny tiny screen and it's got their attention yeah the other thing i think that was a good point in there is the circus leader makes him wait to find his place Mm -hmm. and i think there's we don't want to wait our culture doesn't want to wait for anything and, and to realize that sometimes we move too quickly and we don't find our proper place. And so that wisdom uh, of the circus leader to have that, the character wait until he found his place. Uh, and, and the importance of that in our life to say, are we waiting for God? Uh, or are we trying to, to manipulate God and, and move God in different ways? And, 
and that's hard because sometimes it doesn't make sense. Like, well, why, why, why can't you, if you know where I can be, why don't you just put me there? And another beautiful aspect about that waiting, because because yes, one of the performers from the the other circus kind of escapes and comes to the butterfly circus. All that period before he really does anything, the beauty of it is also he learns from Mr. Menendez is the circus. Oh, there leader. we go. Um, he learns. <clears throat> You're not here because you're useful. I'm happy to have you here. I take joy in you being here, and I don't need you to be useful to the circus. And so for all that period of waiting, he's also understanding, I'm, I, I'm precious. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, he doesn't have me here because, he doesn't have me here because, you know, he treasures me. He treasures me. The other beautiful thing I think about the film that the students pick up you know, the, the claim that Christ remains present in his church. And so I, I, would, I would say to them, well, you know, in literature you'll sometimes have what we call the Christ figure. Who's the Christ figure? You know, Mr. Menendez, Mr. Menendez. And I'd say, and, and where's the church? And they'd say the circus performers. And there's a beautiful moment when the character, one of the, the characters transformed, and you see the circus audience is very happy, but who's even happier than them? The members of the circus are, take great joy in what's happening and then the one who takes most joy is Mr. Menendez. But you see, you see the spirit of, of Mr. Menendez is, is there in the circus performers. And so it's a great way for students to recognize what the church is, you know, that, that, that Christ really remains, really remains present among us. Is there a, a character in the film that you most relate to? Well, this one, every character, what you discover, and again, I, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't want any spoilers, but... In the Butterfly Circus, every, you discover at some point in the film every member of that circus was weak and wounded and useless to society. And the circus and Mr. Menendez found each of them and brought them in and, fr- and, and, and brought about something beautiful. So it's, it's interesting because every circus performer, every member of that circus recognizes it's our weakness that brought him to us. So when the new character comes and they see his weakness, they're not scandalized at all. Because they, in fact, he at one point thinks they're all, they're all so good, they're all so strong, and Mr. Menendez then does, gives him the history of each of them, and he realizes, oh, all of us have a wound, which is also a beautiful image of the church. You know, we're not, we're not the perfect people. We're, we're those that, that Christ has embraced, even in our woundedness. And so I would say I, I, would say I could... I, you know, you especially relate, uh, you relate to all the characters, the, the, particularly the circus members, because you see, as watching the film, you're attracted to Mr. Menendez, you know, and then you see the transformation that's happened in each of these, in each of these members. Father? Yeah, I suppose I'd have to actually rewatch it to, um, I've only watched it once. <laughs> uh, see, no, because teaching, I've watched the thing about a hundred times, and, um, but it's, uh, Yes, yeah, so I don't know that I can okay. uh, answer um, exactly. Uh, there's the guy that does like the backflip. Yeah. Uh, that so that would probably be uh, the one. That was the person I was thinking of <laughs> on the stilts. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he's like on these stilts, and there's a sense of if you don't know, you, you're afraid. Like he's on this, but then he does this amazing thing. Like he's discovered in his deficiency a unique way of living that that becomes beautiful maybe would be the way to look at it and he like does this thing he falls on his knees and he or he like goes back around and he somersaults or something (laughs) yeah i'd have to yeah i'd have to rewatch that that one too one of the actors and i i 
you know, I've, many of my students, once they see this, they go online to research this actor and that one and, and the film, and it might be on the DVD. I, I got the DVD at one point because I never trust if streaming is going to work, you know, when I... Right. And it might be on the DVD where there's a documentary of the making of it, and the one, that one really tall uh, circus performer, yep. he's a stuntman for all kinds of really famous movies. Oh. And he said he got this script, and it wasn't paying a whole lot, and it wasn't... And, you know, he thought, I don't, I'm not going to do this. And he read the script, and he said, I have to do this. Mm. This is, this is it, it, it's wow. so beautiful. I have, I have to give myself to... So to what this. is it about when we watch a certain movie or read a certain book or listen to a certain music that makes people change their mind like that? Why do people just also, oh, I want to... How come, how come when you come across Father Peter Cameron, you adhere to him and you adhere to him and I adhere to him, when other people can come on them and we're like, well... I'm going to go a different way. What is it that gives that, that adherence from multiple places? Why is it that my brother Joe would find the Butterfly Circus and introduce this to his students as a high school teacher, and you would find the Butterfly Circus and introduce this to people as a high school teacher? Okay, I, I think for me, when I, when I, the Butterfly Circus was recommended to me by a seminarian from Italy because it was translated into Italian and... and, uh, and for me, you watch it and it, it resonates. It, for me, it resonated and, and I felt like, okay, this is, this resonates, this is like the human uh, visceral response to what, to, to someone who loves you, uh, to Christ. There, there's something true about this. I understand why they would love Mr. Menendez. And often, I think, I, I, you know, you could read the Gospels and it just seems sort of religious or it can be approached in such an academic way that you miss the most important part, which is this, this attraction. And why did I want to show it to the students? Because I sort of counted on, okay, they have the same human heart as I do. So if this is resonating with me, I think it's going to resonate with them. And, and high school students who are, who are so concerned with hiding their weakness mm-hmm. and being ashamed, to see this film where weakness is embraced and transformed not cut out of someone's life in a certain sense, but, but the whole person is transformed, there was a great attraction. And, you know, high school students might be self-conscious about speaking about their own weakness, but they'll talk very freely about the characters in that film, and it becomes a forum, I think, to speak on a really human level. Yeah, I, I think the other thing is, is, as much as we say we don't, everyone wants to, to belong and to fit in. Uh, and the problem is, is we, we use a false persona to fit in often. And so we have to keep working at this, making sure that whatever the persona was that we used to get into the group or to fit, that it never is revealed. The curtain is never opened in the wizard behind. And this is actually saying, no, actually everyone does belong. Uh, and so I think it speaks to that uh, deeper level of, there is a place for you. You know, there really is a place, and I think everyone wants to believe that to be true, uh, but nobody wants to admit that that they're looking for it, per se. And, and this gives them permission to watch a story be told and to give them a hope that, you know, <laughs> as, as you joke, for a man with no arms and no legs, uh, there's a place for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I've watched the, that, main, that character, I've watched his talks, 
You know, he's a motivational speaker. And so when I when the curtain opens, I knew exactly who the guy I'm like, oh my gosh, I know who this guy is. And I've heard him speak. And, you know, he talks about, you know, the challenges in our culture of body image and all of these things that we do to ourselves. Uh, and here's a man with no arms and no legs. And, and he's like, none of that matters. Uh, something deeper in you uh, can be touched. Uh, also, I don't think that there's it doesn't tell you what to think. Yes. It, and I think so often today, we're spoon-fed. Like you watch a movie, you read a book, and it just tells you kind of what to think and how to respond, and, and you just sort of go through it. But there's no... I think it, it's artfully done. It's an artfully done... It's a well-made, artfully done film that tells a really human story. And I, I find sometimes with, sometimes with films that intend to be a Christian film... You watch and you feel like, oh, okay, somebody wanted to make a pro-life movie. So they made yeah. up this story to put forth the pro-life yeah. message. But, and I can't put my, fi- my finger on it, but the story seems contrived. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I feel like I'm not really watching real humanity at play. I'm watching a story that's trying to convince me of a certain position. And it, it, it doesn't engage me. It almost blackmails me, because, and I'm supposed to right. like it, because if you're a good <laughs> Christian, you better like this movie, but I really don't like this. And The Butterfly Circus is... You know, they're telling a human story. I think Tolkien, when he wrote his books, he said, you know, I didn't write books trying to write Catholic books. And when, when he, and he said, when I, fin- when I would finish and reread them, he said, I saw my, the, the metaphysics, my faith is all through this. I don't need to add gods or, because my faith is, is all through this. And if I'm correct, I'm not sure, wasn't this sort of an argument that he and C.S. Lewis would have? Because Tolkien found C.S. Lewis's tales a little bit too... Um, I mean, I love, I love them both, and I would say both of them. Think of the Catholic writers, Flannery O'Connor, Graham Greene. These writers who are Catholic, so the way they approach reality is, is richer, and it comes out in their writing. But you don't, when you read it, you don't get a sense. They're trying to teach me doctrine through sort of a, a moral tale they've, they've kind of artificially constructed. Yeah. And yeah, I you, think you'd never know that Flannery O'Connor was reading the Summa Theologica from Thomas Aquinas at night when you read Parker's Back. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but Parker's Back is laden with grace and redemption. Like, yes. There is so much in there. And it's, uh, in a certain sense, it's <clears throat> incarnational. She, she's Catholic, and it gives her a whole way of looking at things that, that gets to the truth of them. Yes. And, um, Which, yeah, because I would sometimes, you, you, you know, at the beginning of a school year, the kids don't know you yet, you put on a film, and they're just ready to get bored. You know, they're ready to think this is going to be some cheesy, and the butterfly circus draws them in because it's human. And, and maybe this is the culture, part of the culture that we live in, is that when you live here in front of a dis- the destruction, uh, and you just talk about the destruction, like, now how do we get people to actually walk in? Well, it's not necessarily just like giving them directions to walk in. There's something has to move them, and we can find that allegory is a way to move people into something. And then, over time, they begin to see, oh, this is true. This, is this real true? Is this true? I think this is true. They think this is true. Maybe this is true. And uh, the finest, the more it relates to reality, the more that happens. It reminds me of, uh, we were going hiking maybe a year ago we were going to go hiking take some high school students uh and the weather wasn't looking good i thought it was beautiful and we're going to have this amazing time and some people came up from yankton and they're the morning starts out it's gray it's supposed to rain i was thinking oh no this is we're we're done we're done and i'd learned you know 
you just got to let things happen. And I'd kind of gotten at peace with it. So I said to the students, I said, you know, when we planned this and I was ready, I imagined this hike was going to be like the sound of music. <laughs> and we were going to be up in the middle of this lush green grass and these alive. hills and this beautiful sky. Make and- clothes from the curtains. And-, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I looked at him and I said, but you know what? I think it's going to be more like the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> right. That right there opened them. Just like, oh, there's a new way I can look at this. Okay. So uh, so we're up hiking and, in, you know, just a little drizzle, but nothing mist kind of stuff. Nothing bad. We still weren't in rain. We're getting up to the top. We sing some songs and we turn around and all of a sudden the rain starts coming. And I'm like, we're on the top of a mountain. We have a bunch of high school students and it's raining what am I doing up here? There was one young man who had just had surgery or hurt his leg, so he was limping. I mean, talk about the butterfly circus. Like, And he's at the end then. Well, I led up, so when we turned around, I was at the end, and he's at the end. And he, you know, we're trying to keep up, and I'm trying not to lose him, but don't want to lose them. And, um, and I said to him, it's kind of like the Lord of the Rings, isn't it? And he says to me, or is the Lord of the Rings like this? Oh. That's education. Mm-hmm. That's a young man who has come to something as we put a question before them and he comes to a place to see life is an adventure what you were looking for in the priesthood he's like whatever this is an adventure life is an adventure i don't need to go watch the movie just but i watch the movie it helps me see this more Mm -hmm. the butterfly circus Uh, right in reality an allegory can get us into that differently than if i just sit them down in a desk and talk to them about life and jesus and different things so well we've got five minutes um Maybe uh, if you do, you have anything you've been with us in Sioux Falls now for a few days. Do you have anything that uh, has provoked you, or you thought, boy, I didn't uh, know this about South Dakota, or I didn't? I'm surprised that this happened, or these people are. Well, you were talking about a sail barn before, and I don't know what that is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody from the sail barn came to hear him preach, so I don't know what a sail barn is. <laughs> well, when you sell sheep or cattle uh, or any animal. You do that in a barn, a large okay. arena area, and they can walk them around, they can show people, and then they can buy them as they watch okay. them. So you go to the sale barn to either sell your cattle, your pigs, your sheep, or buy them. Okay. Uh, so this girl was at the sale barn, uh, either selling something or buying an animal, uh, and then you stand around and talk and visit with people. <laughs> okay, so now so, I know what a sale barn is. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> So that's a sale barn. Great. Well, it's been been beautiful. I was commenting to you, you know, coming from New York, every, New York is a big city, but all the physical things in the city are smaller because space is at a premium. So uh, St. Lambert's Parish just seems huge to me and and the hallway and, um, (laughs) but it's also, it's also been beautiful seeing the, just the joy and the unity of, of the people. For me particularly, you know, I, I mean, my experience of Sioux Falls is, is St. Lambert's Parish. But that's been something, that's been something really wonderful. And I'm, I'm very impressed. The first, when I came from the airport, I got a little tour of the downtown. I was brought to Sioux Falls with the Red Rocks, which was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So that was very, that was very impressive. 
Excellent. Well, it's been a joy for us to have you here, and thank you for the joy of your priesthood and for the way in which you pour your life out into the Universal Church. Uh, we're grateful, and we assure you that we pray for you and the seminarians and your mission to the church. So we will close, as we typically do, with uh, a family prayer. In the name of the Father, Father and the Son, and, Son, and the, the Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our, Our Father, Father, we thank you for your love and for your many blessings, especially for the precious gift of each other. Help us to show our gratitude by loving each other as you love us. Make us understanding and patient with one another, quick to admit our failings and ask forgiveness, generous in sharing the joy and strength we can give each other. Father, give our family lively faith and the courage to share it with those around us. Direct us to the state in life you plan for each of us and help us to use your gifts to serve you. We entrust our family to your fatherly care. Preserve us from the corruption of the modern world and help us draw closer daily to you and to each other until we come to share with you the joys of heaven. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, help us to be a holy family. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And the Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. You've been listening to The Rutten Brothers, brought to you in part by Mount Marty College, preparing tomorrow's leaders in the Catholic Benedictine tradition. On the Lamb Catholic Radio Network, 91.3 KSTJ, Hartford, Madison, Mitchell, Yankton, 104.3 LP, Juan Diego Radio for Sioux Falls and 88.9 KSJP, Ipswich, Aberdeen, and online at lambradio.com.